You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, I don't know how you view your life, but, but a lot of times our life is just kind of a series of accidents, right? Like this thing sort of happened and then you just kind of responded in a moment to an emergency crisis situation, and you do that enough, and eventually you get far off of whatever your life plan was. You know, if you had written out a life plan when you were six years old, and you schedule out where you're going to be when you're 66 years old, and you get so far off of that life plan, you know, all of us at six years old wanted to be something, you know, we wanted to be firefighters or policemen or teachers, right? And then, and then we end up, you know, pushing papers at a, at a company somewhere. I'm like, how did this happen? How did I end up doing this job? Instead, instead of what I wanted to be when I was a child, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a vet, by the way. That's, that's the job I wanted to be when I was a child. And then I volunteered at a vet's office for one day, and I said, I don't want to do this job at all. That was enough to cure me of that, that desire uh, to be a vet. Um, but, but, but the truth is, a lot of us feel like our lives are just kind of like they happen to us. Right? Like we're not the authors of, of, of our lives. We're, they just kind of happen to us through a series of circumstances. Uh, and, and there's no grand plan for your life. I just want you to know, like today, you find yourself uh, here at First Baptist Church Rockdale, and that is not an accident. Right? God has divinely orchestrated all of the steps of your life for this moment in time. This is a crazy thing to think about. That, 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 that like Any choice you made 10 years ago could have dramatically changed this. A choice your parents made could have dramatically changed where you are today, but God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, saw fit to drive your life to this point. Right? I'm a big believer in providence, that God uh, providentially uh, orchestrates our future. It doesn't mean that everything you do is providentially ordained. Right? I've chosen to do some, some wicked things before. That's not God's will for my life. But, but God uses those choices that I make to continue down the path that he has for me. Today we're going to talk a little bit about your life's divine direction. We're also going to talk a little bit about um, the greatness of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to find that today in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, open to Ruth chapter 2. Uh, Ruth is a narrative, that means it's a story. Uh, what happened in Ruth chapter 1, as you get there, Ruth, by the way, is after the book of Judges. So if you have your Bible, you get to the book of Judges, just a little four chapter book right after Judges. Um, but what's happened in Ruth chapter 1 that we learned last week. Um, is that there was this lady named Naomi. She had a husband. She had a couple of sons. There was a famine in her homeland of Israel. And so she leaves Israel and she goes to another country called Moab. And in Moab, her sons pick up, uh, pick up wives. Um, and uh, then Naomi loses her husband. Elimelech dies. Her two sons die. And now she's widowed, uh, bereaved of two sons, and has two daughter-in-laws instead of two sons. The famine that had taken place was over, and it had been about a decade since they had left. And so she goes back home, begs her daughter-in-laws to stay because they have no business returning back to Israel with her. They have no life there, no future there. One of them returns back home. The other one, Ruth, the namesake of the book, remains with Naomi and, and carries on into Israel. And that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth 2 says, Now Naomi, verse 1, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite uh, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, and, then he, uh, and she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Okay, so what, what's going on here is uh, Ruth is now living in, in this area near Bethlehem, and she has uh, no food. They can't work. If you're a lady in this time period, you couldn't really just go out and be industrious and get a job and make ends meet. And so what they would do, the way they, they took care of poor widows and poor people generally at that time was at harvest time, uh, they were allowed to harvest like the vast majority of their field. And then they were supposed to leave the very edges of the field for the poor to come and to harvest food for themselves. So, so the wealthy, the men who own the field, uh, would harvest the vast majority of the grain and then sell it and, and, and make, make money and be able to get more food from that. But the poor were provided because there was always food left uh, in the field for them to get. They could also go behind the harvesters. And so we, we see this even today with modern harvesting technology. Uh, you look at like a cornfield, which is pretty easy. To, uh, or I'll go with a cotton field. I admit it's easier. You go to a cotton field after the harvest of cotton, you can, you can drive by and you still see kind of cotton everywhere, right? You see cotton on the ground. You still see some of them twigs that, that are the cotton plants that still have a little bit of cotton on it. Uh, and there's still stuff there. So the, the, the poor people are allowed to go behind the harvesters and pick all of that up as well. And that's a hard way to make, make food, by the way, guys. When everyone's picked up most everything that's good, most everything that's, that's, that's easy to eat and easy to harvest, and you're going through there, imagine making a pair of jeans for the cotton you can pick up that's left over in the field. You're going to be picking out dirt. You're going to be, I mean, it's going to be a mess to get there. But it was a way to provide for the poor at the day. Ruth looks around, says, hey, I'm going to go and start doing this. It's harvest time. Maybe we can get some food from this harvest time. And so Naomi says, go, uh, and I pray you have favor as you go. And she goes, and she works from field to field, and she's kind of wandering through. And then she gets into this field of this man named Boaz. I have a whole long line of jokes with Boaz. I will not share it. My wife, by the way, once I say that, she's like a, she's like a, a, like a, like a governor on your car. You know, I had a, a Ford Ranger when I was a young person, and it had the governor set at 96 miles an hour, right? You get to not, and it just, it wouldn't let you go past it. You get out and it just dies, right? No one else has ever hit the governor on their car before. It's just me. Okay. Uh, some cars have a thing that keeps them from going over certain speeds to keep you from killing yourself. And my car had that uh, when I was a young person, okay? Uh, my wife is that for me, right? Like every once in a while I get going and she's like, no, nah, just turn that back. And then the engine shuts off for a minute, and now we can reset, okay? I wasn't going to tell the whole line of jokes. If you want to hear the jokes later, though, come talk to me. They're pretty good. Okay. <laughs> so, 
but Boaz is a man who's somewhat in the family uh, of Elimelech, which was Naomi's husband. Okay, so that's who he is. He's a, a, a worthy man. That's how he's described. That means he's a good man, an honorable man. And Ruth ends up in his field, and apparently the picking is good, and so she works there pretty much all day long, uh, gleaning from the edges of the field and going after the harvesters and picking up what's left in the sheaves on the ground. And Boaz sees her, uh, and it's like, who is this person, right? Because there's not that many poor people wandering around. He knows his workers. There's not that many people just trying to survive subsistence farming right then. And so he's like, who is this lady? Who she belong to? And they point it out. You know, this is the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. Uh, and, and he's like, oh, okay, that, 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 that makes sense. And she's been working diligently this whole time. You know, now, now what this story is trying to illustrate, right, at the very beginning it, it introduces Boaz, and he shows up near the end of this section here, is that God providentially put Ruth in that field. Now, we don't know how many fields were around Bethlehem. We do know Bethlehem was a fairly fertile place. The name Bethlehem literally means... House of Bread. That's what the word uh, Bethlehem means. And so it was a fairly fertile area to be out harvesting grain and the like. And, and so we don't know how many fields she could have ended up in. But she didn't know where she was going. She was not a local. She didn't have experience in that area. But God ordained her steps to bring her to that field. Right? Through whatever providential thing, she ended up in that field. God was divinely directing her path. For his end goals. The end goal, by the way, that God has with Ruth. I'm going to give the story away and you don't have to listen for the next three weeks, I guess. The end goal that he has is Jesus Christ, the great redeemer. That's the goal that that Ruth has because Ruth is going to marry Boaz. Spoiler alert. Right. And then they're going to have a child. That child's name is Obed. And we don't know anything about Obed because Obed has a child named Jesse. We know a little bit about Jesse because Jesse has a child named David. And David is, is the king of Israel, uh, and Jesus himself is a direct descendant all the way back from Ruth, all the way through. If you read the genealogies of Jesus, you'll see this show up uh, where, where it traces all the way, in Matthew, it traces all the way back through Ruth uh, and Boaz. What a beautiful thing. God is working out redemption for mankind, the salvation of mankind, providentially through Ruth stumbling into the right field. Right? And it's not an accident that she was there. Just like it's not an accident that you're here today. Right? Ruth was just doing her normal life. She was just doing what she had to do to, to, to survive. She had no idea she was playing a part in this grand narrative that God was doing to bring salvation for mankind. But Ruth, by being where she was, was exactly where God wanted her to be. And there was tragedy that brought Ruth to this place. Right? Ruth was married uh, to, to a man, and now she's a widow at a young age, right? And she's from somewhere else, yet she's drugged across the world uh, to another country to live in a town that she's never been, and that she's got to like just work all day long to barely get enough bread to eat. And, and it's such a tough and difficult story. And you would never think, if you had asked Ruth that morning while she's sitting there in the one break that she took in the middle of the day, and you said, Ruth, do you think you're in the middle of God's plan for your life right now? She'd be like, I don't know if there is a God if this is his plan. Because this plan is bad. Right? This plan is terrible. My, I'm a widow. I'm living in a foreign country. I've got nothing to eat. My hands are sore. My back is sore. I'm hot. It's nasty. And I'm doing all this just so I can survive and provide for this woman that I love, my mother-in-law. This does not seem 
like God's plan. But a lot of times, God's plan doesn't seem like God's plan when we're in the middle of God's plan. Look, if you're in a tough season right now, if you're in a good season right now, whatever season you're in, this is the season God has called you to. But this is the season that God has had you to walk in, and there is a plan for that. It's not an accident that you're in this place that you're in right now. Right? God is orchestrating events for His glory through His people. Possibly it's just like it was for the redemption of mankind. Possibly it's for your salvation. Possibly it's for your redemption. I've seen people make terrible life decisions. And they've absolutely, by their own volition, shipwrecked their life. Right? Drugs, alcohol, bad decisions with women, plural. Right? Just, just bad decision after bad decision. And then they've made a mess of their life. And then out of that mess, God calls them to salvation. Right? They reach the end of themselves. They reach the bottom of whatever sin and depravity would lead them to. And in that moment of vulnerability, the Holy Spirit reaches out to them and says, Are you ready today to hear a better way? Right? God brings about redemption for mankind when mankind is in the middle of his plan. And you're, the middle of God's plan doesn't always seem great. I'm not going to say that every decision you make is God's will. That's baptizing a lot of bad choices. Right? Like, I choose sin sometimes. I choose to be uh, dismissive or rude. I choose, to, <laughs> I choose all sorts of wicked things of my own volition. That's not God's will for my life, but God is also not caught, caught unaware when Matt acts like an idiot. Because he knows the story. He knows that I'm an idiot. He knows that I make bad decisions. He knows that I'm falling. He knows that I'm broken. He's not surprised by the dumb things you've done in your life. He's not looking up and be like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Right? It's not like the sixth sense, right? And at the end of the movie, you're like, what? Right? You're like, how did that happen? I did not, was not ready for that twist in the story. God's never surprised. Like when you do something stupid that's outside of his ideal for you, he's like, yep, I saw that. You're doing it, but God's going to use that situation. He, he uses that situation providentially many times to bring about good ends for your life. Continuing on in verse 13, or verse 8, I guess. Then Boaz said to Ruth, uh, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father, your mother, your native land, and came to a people that you didn't know. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So, so what she says, uh, Boaz says, hey, stay in my field. None of my guys are going to touch you. Imagine being like, a, we don't know if Ruth was attractive, we'll call her attractive, but just a young, widowed woman uh, in, a, in an area with young men around. Like there's an opportunity for abuse, there's an opportunity um, for disrespect, there's an opportunity for all sorts of bad things to happen. And, and he says, you stay in my field, my guys won't touch you. You go right behind my, my ladies who are picking. I mean, right behind them. You stay right close to them, so you're the first one to get what they leave behind. 
right? And you'll be provided for. You stay here. We'll take care of you. And she's just over, overjoyed by this. She's blown away by it. She falls on her face. She says, what did I do? How did I get this favor that you would take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. I have nothing to do with you. And he says, well, I've heard about you. I know your character. Uh, and so I'm going to take care of you. But guys, the way this plays out in our story, in our life, is exactly the same. Right, that God has orchestrated your life to this event to, to come here. And then Jesus takes notice of you. Somewhere along the way, if you're a believer in Jesus, God has taken notice of you. And he's shown special favor and kindness to you. Undeserved kindness, right? This unmerited favor, this, this thing that we sing about, this amazing grace that we sing about uh, from time to time. The idea that, that we've just been given this favor. And why do we get this favor? Because, because, because God sees us. Right? He sees us where we are. He sees us where we're at. And he says, you don't deserve this. You're not even necessarily earning it. Like she's done good deeds. Like she, he sees that she's done some works. But it's not really even about. And he just sees her. And he says, we're going to take care of you. We're going to protect you. But your good deeds are seen. A lot of times we think our good deeds aren't seen. I think that sometimes, like I do good things, and I look around afterwards. That didn't go up on Facebook, so I guess no one knows, right? Like, like you got to post it so someone can see it, and then you know you're doing your Bible study, and I don't drink coffee, but you get a cup of coffee there anyways, and you get the candle here, and you take a picture, be like doing my Bible study, right? Like if we don't, if it's not public, if it's not seen by people, we wonder if anyone sees it. A lot of people give away their rewards, by the way, uh, in heaven. By, by claiming, looking for, for accolades here on earth. But God saw what Ruth had done. Boaz saw what Ruth had done, took notice of her, and showed favor to her. Going on down to verse 14, And at mealtime, Boaz said, Come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat, so she sat beside his reapers. And they passed her roasted grain. She ate until she was full. And then she even had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men, to let her glean even among the sheaves and don't, don't reproach her. Also pull out some from your bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so now the game is changing. The game used to be pick up what was on the ground, pick up some stuff off the edges. Now he's eating dinner with her. He's feeding her food. He's giving her this, this grace upon grace. And then he says, now when, when you go out to harvest, she doesn't tell her this, but he tells his, his, his men and his women, he's like, just let her walk with y'all. Well, y'all be right there. And in fact, like every once in a while, be like, whoops, and just drop like some really like full grain. Just, just oh, no, oh, that was embarrassing. I can't believe, well, it's on the ground. I can't pick it up. Right. And so they're just dropping massive amounts of food for her so that she can pick it up. So, so, so her work becomes so much easier. Right. Instead of having to do a ton of work to get a little bit of food, she has to do a moderate amount of work to get a massive amount of food because Boaz took an interest in her. And this had continued, and she goes home after she's done with this all, and I'll summarize the end of the chapter. Uh, she goes home after she's done with this all and uh, gives some of the grain that she had eaten for dinner to, to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law is like, where were you to get this much food in one day? Because like she knows what it's like. She understands how much food should be coming back at the end of a day of gleaning behind the harvesters. And she's like, how did you get... This much food, and you get the roasted grain, too, on top of this. Where were you? She says, well, I ended up in the field of this guy named Boaz. And, and what, what uh, 
what Naomi says, that's verse 20, I guess. She said, look, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And the redeemer at that time meant that he was someone close enough uh, to, to, to continue the family line if needed. Right? He, was a, he was someone who could come back and, and, and purchase back and to, and to buy back in that family, right? Because the family line was going to be killed off because both the sons had died. And he says, she's a good, she's a good man. He's one of our redeemers. And so she found favor in the eyes of one of her redeemers. We also have found favor in the eyes of our redeemer. Right? Now, I love the picture that the Bible gives us in the New Testament. It's like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? While, you were, while we were lost in our sins, while we were enemies of God, while our hearts were turned exactly against God, God said, I have favor for you. And I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even understand it. So I was, I was like 15 years old when I became a believer. That's when Jesus and I met each other on the third row or so of my church. And I remember that moment, but I still don't understand why God chose to reveal himself to me. Because, like, I was just a turdy little 15-year-old. Like, I was, was not a great person, but I wasn't necessarily honoring God in all my relationships. Just before my wife stole me from her best friend, just in case you back there were wondering what that was like. <laughs> right, I wasn't honoring God in my relationships. My, my, my mouth was, was, was filthy, unclean. The things I joked about, the things I talked about, are really, there was nothing in me uh, that would have made God look down from heaven and be like, there's someone right there. Who's, who, who's found my favor. Well, I mean, I wasn't Hitler, but, but like, aside from that, like, I just wasn't a very good dude. But for some reason, God saw me in the midst of my sin while I was a stranger, while I was an alien, while I was a foreigner, while I was living for myself. And he said, I choose you. This is exactly what Boaz is doing for Ruth, right? He looks at her. She's a foreigner. She's a stranger. She's from a strange land. And he looks at her and he says, I see you, I see your poverty, I see your need, I see that you have no outcome for a future, and I choose you. I'm not going to run you off, I'm not going to push you away, I've chosen you. God is the one who does this amazing thing to look at us as sinners and say, I choose you. It should lead us to, to a grateful heart, right, to know that we didn't merit God's favor. It wasn't that you attended Sunday school enough that God one day revealed himself. I went to Sunday school a lot. That is not why God chose to reveal himself to me. Right? It's, not that, it's not that your parents were good enough and so God chose to reveal himself to you. It's really just that God loves mankind. Right? And willing that, uh, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, he reveals himself to mankind so that some might come to faith. He chose us. We found favor with our Redeemer. Guys, your Redeemer purposely directs your life. Purposely directs your life in ways that you never would have directed it for yourself. In paths you never would have gone for yourself for your salvation and your good. For the salvation of those around you. You know, your life is your testimony of what God has done in your life. 
right? And so like, you can look back at bad decisions you made before Jesus, and you can look at how Jesus came and transformed your life, and then you look at good and bad decisions that you made since Jesus and continue to see the grace of God. So when you talk to someone who's struggling with their faith, when you talk to someone who needs a word of encouragement, your life is the testimony of God's providential working and His love for you, even though you don't deserve it. Right? So when you're dealing with someone who's struggling and they know that they're bad and they know that they're broken and they say, God can't love me. God, God, God can't forgive me. You're like, oh no, God can forgive you because I was worse. I was this. And you may say, well, I wasn't worse. If you don't think you're worse than the person you're talking to, I want you to go back and I want you to think about how many times you've sinned in your life. Just start writing them down. And when your hand falls off, because you, you can write no more, just revisit this conversation of whether or not you're worse. That You are a wicked, wicked person. The best of us in this room. Right? The best of us in this room are just absolutely, just as tore up from, from the very ground floor. We are just wicked. But God, right? But God sees you, providentially directs your life, favors you, and redeems you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that's happened to you, if you've already been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, your testimony of all of the providential things that have happened that led to your salvation and everything after your salvation. Really, there's been a lot of things that I've done since I've been a Christian that give me a testimony to help with people who are struggling with things in their life today because I, I've made some bad choices as a believer. Right? I've chosen some sinful paths as a believer for seasons of my life. And, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bragging about sin. It's just a recognition that, guys, we're, we, we struggle. And the people that we talk to, our friends, our family members who are dealing with issues of faith, they struggle and they don't need perfect people, right, to tell them that God, obviously God chose to save you, so-and-so, because everything I hear about you is that you're perfect. I think we did a disservice generationally in the pulpit for a long time where pastors refused to admit that they have faults. We just, we just, we, we glossed over all of that. Right? We, didn't, we didn't tell people that we were broken and messed up. We didn't tell people that sin was a struggle for us. We didn't tell people any of that. And people looked up, literally. I mean, this is one, two, three, four, five large steps to get up here. I'm way above y'all right now. And they look up at the preacher and they say, look at that guy. He is God's man. Uh, and, then, and they say, of course God chose to save Matt. He's this great guy. It makes sense that God would save Matt. He's a good dude. But not me. Not me down there in the, on the floor. Why would God save me? I'm not a... I'm not great. I'm not good. I'm wicked. I'm bad. He couldn't love me like he loves Matt. But God just wants you to know, like, if, like, like I'm there with you. And yet God still chose to save me. And if God could save Matt Higginbotham, he can save you. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you're going through right now. But God's salvation is good enough and big enough uh, to meet you where you are. And perhaps, providentially, the reason that you're at this church on this day, at this time, is so that you can receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord today. Perhaps that's why God has you here. If so, we're going to have an invitation in just a minute. You can come down and talk to me. I would love nothing more than to talk to you about how much God loves you and how He's orchestrated your life so that you can become called a child of God. But if you're a believer already, I want you to know, right, like your life, even today, is a testimony of faithfulness that, that, that we can point people 
to what Jesus has done in our past and in our future through the present sufferings that we have today. I'm asking you to walk that path well. And to walk it with an eye knowing that, 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 that His eye is on you. right? Like, like His eye is on the sparrow, that, that song. Uh, and I know He watches me. Like What a beautiful idea. If God can watch the sparrow... Like, he, he, he knows, he sees you. Your path is not some mismatched, haphazard thing that just happened to you. It may be a, a, a series of bad decisions that have led you to where you are, but God isn't surprised, and God's plan hasn't been thwarted by your wickedness. His plan is still very much intact today for you. And so let's use our testimonies to encourage those around us. Right to lift them up, to, to encourage them, to spur them on to righteousness, to share the, the joy of salvation with the lost and the comfort of salvation with the saved. Let's be a church that tells the truth about who we are, about who God is, and about where God is taking us. Because He is our Redeemer. And He has purchased us from sin and death for righteousness today. Let me pray.